electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. All right, thanks very much, guys. Live from the NASDAQ market site overlooking glorious Times Square in New York City. This is Fast Money, the big show. I'm Dominic Chiu in for Melissa Lee tonight. Tonight's trader lineup, Guy Adami, Tim Seymour, Steve Grasso, and Jeff Mills. You're seeing them right there tonight on the show. The reopening rally charges on airlines, cruise lines, casinos. You know them all jumping again today, even as the broader indexes shrug off a little bit what these moves say about the strength of the overall market. Plus, Roku rockets. The streaming stock seeing its best day in over two years. It's up 18% in the session, but one of our traders says the rally is overdone. Why he's sounding the alarm on this particular name. And crypto takes center stage in the Senate. Stellar CEO Danelle Dixon joins us after her congressional testimony to break down the future of regulation in the crypto industry and what she makes of all the volatility currently going on in that space. But we start with the other big hearing on Capitol Hill, as you're seeing there. Instagram head Adam Mosseri just wrapping up his testimony before a House committee. Let's get out to Julia Borston for the details, what's being said, and what are the implications. Julia. Well, Dom, it was his first congressional testimony, and Adam Mosseri defended Instagram and parent company Meta's efforts to protect teens on the platform, saying that it's in the company's best interest to make the experience a positive and a safe one and to keep parents confident that their kids are safe. Now, he did call for regulation and an industry body to set standards across the industry, but senators pushed Mosseri on whether the company's incentives are at odds with what's best for teens. Have you not done things to get more teenagers interested in your product? Are you not worried about losing them to other platforms? You better tell the truth. You're under oath. Absolutely, Senator. Senator, we try and make Instagram as relevant as possible for people of all ages, including teens. Teens do amazing things on Instagram every day. But we also invest, I believe, more than anyone else in keeping people, including teens, safe. Mosseri was pressed a number of times by a number of different senators on whether he'd agree to permanently halt any plans for Instagram for kids. He said no, that it makes sense to give kids and teens a service targeted just to them. He also repeatedly said that Instagram shouldn't be the only one that should be criticized and that it is doing more than its peers, Snap and YouTube. Dom? It's certainly a huge topic for discussion right now. Thank you very much, Julia Borston, for that update on Instagram on Capitol Hill. Let's trade it, folks. And, and maybe, Tim Seymour, we'll start with you on this one. There have been overhangs sure. for social media stocks in the past, like Facebook, on the regulatory front. Is there any reason why investors wouldn't shrug this one off just like they have all the other threats in the past? Well, it, first of all, if you look at Facebook relative to its, you know, call it mega cap, 
peer group, it's it's significantly underperformed on a six month basis. I mean, it, it's underperformed uh, Apple by 37 percent, Microsoft by 33 percent, Google, I think, by 25 percent, even Amazon, which people think is underperformed by about eight. Um, it's underperformed the, the, the triple Qs or the Nasdaq uh, by about 800 basis points this year and even the S&P. Clearly, uh, there is an overhang that is affecting the investment thesis of a stock that's very cheap relative to its peer group. And, and again, I, you know, Karen's a, a big Facebook fan and she's right to point out just how cheap it is. And, and so the valuation is compelling. When you look at the ad growth and you look at the pricing on the ad growth up almost 40 percent year over year, there's there's very little to tell you that their core business is under pressure. And in fact, they continue to be the bulge bracket way to play uh, both you know digital ad and social media. So I think that's going to continue to be the place. But I think I've said this for a long time uh, and, and, and Facebook's largely done fine. As you said, it's been very resilient in the face of these types of testimonies and, and, and social pressure and public pressure. But uh, the reality is that this is a company that does trade at a discount for, I think, a handful of reasons, including the fact that I think people um, have some challenges on the ESG side. Guy brings us up all the time. But I, I just think that there is some concern not about uh, existentially where this business model is going, but that this is a management team that they're not putting a premium on. So, Steve Grasso, I'm looking at it right now. It says the forward price to earnings ratio for meta platform slash Facebook is 23 times. That doesn't seem all out of the realm of reason to Tim's point about the valuation. Is it attractive given the pullback and the underperformance that you've seen as of late? Is it is it one that says, hey, you know what, maybe it's time to wade in? So this is a one that I definitely have been negative on. And I think both sides of the aisle politically are, are going to be gunning for uh, Facebook or Meta. But the to your point, I think it's a great one. Uh, first of all, technically, this is a great entry point. This goes back to the May 2021 low, 298. The stock stopped at, and I'm sure Guy will point this out, stopped at that 299 level. So technically, it's a great entry point. And then, Don, uh, Dom, to your point, what, uh, what valuation does the metaverse get? It's got to get more than Facebook's valuation. And if they're forced to break up, some will say that the sum of the parts are, are, are worth more than it is right here. So we can all hate the platform. I, I'm not speaking for anybody else. I'm speaking generically. I, I don't think that anyone's crazy about the platform. I don't think anyone's crazy about what it does socially. But when you look at the stock agnostically, this looks like a pretty good entry point to me. So, so Jeff, along those lines, I mean, this is something that you do. You, you manage money, portfolios for a living. Is, is Meta one of those names that goes on a shopping list because of that underperformance that we've seen? I, I really think that it does. And to Steve's point, it's one of those stories where you don't have to like the company to like the stock. And bad press is nothing new. And I think if you have more than a couple of year time horizon, this ends up being a, a blip on the radar. I don't necessarily understand the pushback against Instagram for kids. You have YouTube kids. I certainly want my kids on YouTube kids versus the alternative. So um, I, I don't quite understand, you know, some of the issues going on right now. Um, that being said, uh, you know, clearly there could be some improvements. But overall, from an investor standpoint, Tim pointed out all of these things. But thinking about the Fang stocks, probably the most undervalued, solid user growth, 
solid avenue, uh, average revenue per user growth, strong free cash flow. I mean, you go down the list and Facebook ticks a lot of those boxes at a pretty attractive valuation. And then you have the whole metaverse discussion. I know that there's this argument that the metaverse is meant to be decentralized and people aren't going to access it through a centralized platform. I don't necessarily agree with that. I think Facebook has a big advantage just given its user base. So I think investors should take a positive out of all of those things. I do think it's a good entry point. All right. The metaverse is just obviously in the early stages right now. So we'll see if investors really buy into that thesis. Meanwhile, we've got another banner day for the reopening trade. Just look at the moves and stocks like the cruise operators, casino stocks, airlines today, as you can see there. The action bringing in gains for the week into the double digits for some of these names. I mean, you can see Live Nation. That's a big move there. Cruise line operators as well. This is on a day where the broad market largely shrugged. As you can see here, the S&P is just up three-tenths of 1% after going gangbusters to start the week. So how do you make sense of the apparent disconnect that we're seeing? Is it maybe this notion that this is a pause that refreshes, or is this a pause that maybe signals another down leg here? Maybe, Jeff, we'll start with you on this one. I I I tend to kind of feel as though some of the action has been confusing for a lot of folks out there. What does an investor do in this kind of environment with markets still near record highs? I think part of the reason it's so confusing is because there's the index and then there's been everything else going on under the surface. And there's certainly been a lot more damage under the surface than at the index level. And a lot of the damage was done in some of these reopening names, small caps, for example. But that really was where the momentum was kind of coming into Thanksgiving. So my guess is as we move past some of these new variant fears, the economy is still on pretty solid footing. You get one last run out of some of those more cyclical areas of the market, maybe into 22 through the first quarter. But I still think that there is a shot clock on that trade. I think once we get into the second half of 22, you're in a situation where leading economic indicators start to decline a little bit. That leads to tighter financial conditions. And ultimately, you see a compression in P.E. And I think in that type of environment, you want profitability. So steering away from some of these reopening names that maybe don't show some of the stable profitability as other areas of the market. Investors are already starting to build up the more profitable sectors uh, really across the board, whether you're talking about growth, value, small cap. It's the profitable companies that are doing well. Tech just so happens to have the highest concentration of profitable companies. So I think that's where you want to start to migrate toward once you push into 2022 a bit. Now, I know that Guy Adami, I, I, I think you're back with us right now, albeit on the phone, I think. So, so Guy, you, you've heard the conversation so far. Is there a case to be made, uh, to, to, to Jeff's point, that we need to hunt around now for those companies that actually make money these days, as opposed to banking on future growth at some point down the line? Yeah, well, if you think, and I apologize for this, you think we're I think that's absolutely correct. I think Jeff makes but. You know, as I've said a number of times, as human beings, the variant is extraordinarily concerning, but we're not tasked uh, with that aspect. We're tasked with trying to figure out uh, how the stock is learned to deal with the virus. And I look at a name like Moss Trough right around, I think, that Friday after Thanksgiving. I think it's forward because going to be a reacceleration. Airbnb and there is in the right. massive dust. All right, Guy, we're going to work on getting your connection back again right now. We're, we're, we're getting some, some static on our side over here as well. It's uh, amazing, let's move on to, it's amazing move. Dom. 
It's amazing, <laughs> Dom. God can say, God can take credit for saying anything on that call a couple of days from now. He could say that's what I was pointing that's to. That's what I was saying. Whether right? it, was it was just the it was just the static. <laughs> it was just the static on the phone call. <laughs> All right, guys, we're going to move the conversation on as we kind of work to get Guy back in the mix here. Our next guest says the smart money, the smart money is focusing on the Fed, not necessarily the pandemic or the Omicron variant. Let's welcome in Kevin Simpson, the founder and chief investment officer of Capital Wealth Planning (CWP). I mean, this is a great conversation to have you on, Kevin, because we want to know if this is a market that you still want to be buying into. Well, filling in for Guy here for a few minutes is uh, big shoes to fill, Dom. Thanks for having me. Like, uh, like Jeff was saying, you know, it's a market where you need profitability. So it's not a market to buy into, but there are stocks to buy into. And when I think about the theme for the day, you know, I woke up this morning just wondering about the breathtaking beauty of science and how amazing it is. What used to take months, decades, years to, to achieve, uh, we can now do in weeks, if not days. And right now, to your point, I think the markets are looking past the Omicron variant, they're looking past the next variant and the next one. And what we're focusing on more than anything else on Wall Street is next week's Fed meeting. What's gonna happen with the Fed? Are we gonna see an increase in the speed of the taper? Are we gonna see interest rates? All of those things are, are going to happen, and they're all going to go back to Jeff's point, looking at quality stocks and looking at profitability for sure. Hey, it's Tim. How are you? Welcome to the show. And, and look, we, we both actually run ETFs for Amplify. And, and you know, one of the things you do is you find these high-quality companies that pay decent dividends. Do you think in the world that we're going to be in next year with the Fed in play, totally agree that there's uh, some sense that more Fed equals more volatility. I say this every day and, and that you know, the, the realm of vol we've had in the last couple of weeks may not be the norm, but, but, but 16 vol is also not the norm. Um, what's the outlook for the, the, the div paying stocks that you, you invest in and, and the outlook for, again, these companies that are higher multiple companies and yet are defensive? That's the conundrum because the companies you're talking about uh, are companies that are trading really, in most cases, north of, of the, the five-year range on their average P.E. Yeah, Tim, I, you know, it's, thinking about volatility, I was on on Black Friday hoping to talk about, you know, Black, Black Friday sales and leftovers, and we saw the pre-market down over 1,000 points. Getting used to this volatility is something that's going to be the theme not only into the year-end, but certainly into 22 and beyond. And to your point, when you're talking about valuations, it's something we really have to focus on. The only way these stocks can go higher, it's not going to be by multiple expansion, at least not the stocks that we want to invest in. You know, the herd, the masses, they might look for the more speculative trade, smart money, fast money crowd. You, know, you guys look at things differently. So valuations come into play. So if we're looking for these stocks that are a little bit stretched in multiples, if they're a little bit high in, in, in terms of their prices, we need them to be able to increase their earnings if we're going to have any hope of those stock prices appreciating. And even more deeply, Tim, like you said, I'm looking for dividend payers and dividend growers. If I want my stocks to continue to increase their dividends, I need to be darn sure that those earnings are going up and increasing to keep pace on those dividend growth names. So it's all about quality and profitability. I mean, I think it's a perfect theme for the day. Hey, Kevin, Jeff Mills here. I just wanted to pivot a little bit to the Fed. You know, thinking about the faster taper, the writing seems to be on the wall there. Are you thinking about that as 
sort of a guaranteed quicker rate hike scenario, or are you looking at that as just preserving optionality for the potential to hike rates more quickly? Because I've been kicking around the idea that we get into the second half of next year, growth starts to slow a little bit, inflation starts to come down, the Fed almost finds itself backed into a corner. So just wondering how you're, you're thinking about that over the next uh, year or so. Yeah, I can't give you that guarantee you're looking for, but I think that our, our thought process right now is we're going to see the increase in taper because it's easy and the economy can handle it. I mean, we can handle a, a, a taper that they're going to double the pace of, of this pullback. That, that leads them to the ability uh, to put interest rate increases at, at, their, um, at their fingertips. So my thesis has been that we'll see two rate hikes next year. And what if they accelerate it? What if there's three? And we forecast even further into the future and we say, okay, well, we've had five or six rate hikes coming off of a zero base. That still puts us at a Fed fund rate of maybe two and a quarter, two and a half, two and three quarters, which from a relative standpoint, a historical standpoint, it's still practically free money. So we can handle it. I think the, the idea of them having this little bit hawkish uh, tone to them is simply because of, to your point, this, this inflation running. We saw the CPI last month at a 30-year high. We're going to get a print on Friday that may even surpass that. But I'm thinking that's going to be like a capitulation point where we're going to be at, at its crescendo. And maybe they're transitory, even though they took the word out, that, that transitory thesis may hold true at least a little bit. You know, maybe uh, the supply chains continue to increase. Maybe inventories get better. Maybe inflation abates a little bit. But we can handle some inflation. We can handle higher interest rates. We just don't want really high interest rates and rampant inflation. So I think, um, Jeff, when we look at next year, to your point, we, we have to expect them to raise rates and we can handle it. Wall Street doesn't want to see it, but the economy can handle it. All right. So a lot to take in for sure. And I'm sure traders are handicapping it all in real time right now. Kevin Simpson, Capital Wealth, thank you very much. Please come back and see us again soon. We appreciate it. Let's trade it around, guys. Uh, Steve Grasso, I'll go to you with this one. Are, are there any particular trades, any particular companies, stocks, asset classes that stand out to you, given what you think and what we just heard from Kevin? Yeah, so it, the, the, the major takeaway is you want to be in the value basket. And along in that value basket, and I think Jeff had alluded to this earlier, there's a bunch of tech names that fit into that value bucket as well. So value versus growth, Apple is both. And the other names that I'm looking at, Trinseo, TSE, if value starts to rip, this is a stock that is buying back their own stock selling off non-core assets, they're gonna wind up buying back the company themselves. So this one can really rip off to the races. Another one, Westrock, uh, WRK. This is a paper company, paper, cor corrugated boxes. So if the economy is coming back, these value plays will rip. Those handful of value slash growth tech names will rip as well. All right, Westrock, we're showing the chart right now. It's been an underperformer, up about 2% year-to-date. All right, guys, thanks very much. Coming up on the show, crypto CEOs are testifying on Capitol Hill today as regulation looms over the entire industry. So is this landscape about to change for crypto? We'll dig into those details in just a few moments. But first, Roku surging today after striking a deal with Google, YouTube specifically. Can the momentum continue? One trader does not think so. We'll find out why with the stock up 18% today when Fast Money returns after this. What does it mean to be rich? 
Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. All right, welcome back to Fast Money. Take a look at Roku. Topping the tape today, shares are raging higher after the company announced a multi-year deal with Google's YouTube service to keep YouTube and its YouTube TV products on the Roku streaming platform. It was the stock's best day since August of 2019. Again, up 18%. It's up fractionally still in the after-hours trade Jeff Mills, you flagged the move today. What's got you either hyped up or concerned about it? Yeah, Dom, I, I saw the move, and, and my first reaction, it still is, is to, to fade the bounce. You know, I, I said this a number of weeks ago, maybe months ago at this point, we were talking about the stock, and the problem isn't the technology. The problem isn't the product. That's fine. For me, it was the valuation, and that was when it was at 287. So especially after the move today, I don't know that that much has really changed in my mind. And on top of that, you have active account growth slowing, not necessarily a good thing for a stock trading where it is. And ultimately, I think over time, you have viewership, ad spending. All of these things are going to consolidate on the leading streaming platforms. I think that's going to serve to pressure ad revenues a little bit on a service like Roku. Uh, and of course, you have to think about valuation again and, and looking out to the out years with a growth story like this. So you're talking about 40 times 2025 estimated EBITDA. So that's double estimates of Snap and Twitter and Netflix and some of these other companies. I just don't think this business can support that kind of valuation. All right. So if that's the case here, I mean, let, let, let's kind of ping this around just one more time here. Guy Adami, because we've got you back, Roku, monster move. Is there, is there anything that, that, that gets you maybe excited about this stock at this point? Yeah. Listen, let me mention, Tim knows this. I think it was 1982 that the police released Ghost in the Machine. Well, I've had one. I got rid of it, so I'm back. And yeah, I am a little excited here. And everything Jeff just said is spot on. I mean, every point he makes on a fundamental basis cannot be at all contradicted. What I will say is this. This stock went from 490, that double top that we had flagged a couple times from February and again in August, to 200, pretty much in a straight line. So you could expect a bounce, and we've seen this in a number of different stocks. I think there's a chance you have a 50% retracement in this name, and you get it back up to about 340, 345 or so, and then you sell it there. But I think a lot of people are going to be chasing over the next week, week and a half, and we've seen these moves before. I think we're going to see one again. All right, we're just getting started here on Fast Money after that Roku trade. Here's what's coming up next on the show. Crypto CEOs head to the hill as regulation looms over the space. So what's next for the crypto landscape? Plus, stretch out for this next trade. We're leaning into Lulu ahead of earnings. So should you namaste in this name? 
You're watching Fast Money, live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. We're back right after this. At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. There it is, the crypto trade. Welcome back to Fast Money. Six crypto CEOs on Capitol Hill today testifying as regulators seek to understand things like stable coins, other digital assets. Stellar was the only blockchain network invited to this particular hearing, as you can see there. And Danelle Dixon, the CEO of the Stellar Development Foundation, testified today, and she joins us now. Danelle, thank you so much for taking the time to join us here on Fast Money on CNBC. We appreciate it. Can you basically take us through what was the substance of the actual conversation that you and these other CEOs had with these lawmakers? What was the biggest concern? What were the things that you were trying to answer? Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Today was a really good day. I think it was one of the first times that we as an industry really engaged with regulators and policymakers very directly so that we could actually share information and have really good conversation back and forth. Today, was a, there was a lot of focus on stable coins, uh, particularly the USD-backed stable coins. And there was focus on whether or not there should be regulatory or, excuse me, statutory language that should be put around that to create more regulation that could be focused specifically on how stable coins should hold their reserves and how transparent they need to be with what their reserves are. So that was a big focus. There was also just a lot of information and education around how blockchain works, uh, what actually what happens with respect to two of the CEOs were from trading platforms. And so talking about the trading platforms and consumer protection, there was a lot of information. It was a five hour hearing. So it was really a, a lot of exchange there. Hey, Danelle, Jeff Mills, thanks for being on the show. Uh, just some questions about the use cases. You know, I think that's really important and probably what a lot of those folks want to hear about, thinking about Stellar in particular. Uh, I own some Lumens in my own personal Coinbase account. I just think it's extremely interesting in terms of what it can facilitate relative to payment. So maybe walk us through some of the use cases uh, for the folks out there. 
Yeah, one of the most important things that I wanted to do today was sort of change the narrative because there's so much always focus on what's the promise of blockchain. And we really wanted to be focused on what is actually happening today with respect to blockchain. And I highlighted three particular use cases. I think one of them that is active and, and available today is Leaf Global. Leaf is actually focused on uh, on refugees and on cross-border folks who have to cross the border with goods. And the ability to be able to put their uh, money and their value into digital assets and to carry that across border where they're very, very vulnerable as they cross the border. It's a really important use case. Once they actually get across the border, they can then leverage those digital assets to make payments, to be able to uh, pay any bills that they have or to be able to send, send value and send money to others. So uh, that particular wallet, Leaf Global, pr provides a really interesting use case that's really focused on problems that are that are focused locally in, in Africa, whereas where, where, their, um, where their product is mostly used. So that is just one use case. There are others, I think, you know, Tala is one of the ones I talked about that's in development and they're, they're, they're already do, they have credit that they, you can actually apply to get credit on Tala for these small micro loans and they give you a response right away. So now they're moving into be able to build some of this on Stellar so that they can use the Stellar assets and use stable coins in particular to be able to provide these services to uh, their consumers. So it's a pretty awesome, uh, when you focus on the use cases and you talk about what's actually happening and, what it, and, and, and the value of blockchain, it makes it really hard to walk away from it. Hi, it's Steve Grasso. So what would you say your biggest headwind is? Is it ignorance on the use cases to Jeff's point that, that most of the public and politicians don't really understand how to use it? Or is it adoption? Or are they both hand in hand? I think that uh, I, I won't use the word ignorance. I'll say that I think the challenge is, is a lack of education. And, and I think that's part of industry, actually, that we haven't done the best job uh, educating. And we focus so much on the technology stack and not enough on the use case and what actually can be done with this with this technology. And so I think that we need to be better at explaining what actually is happening and can happen and to and to encourage policymakers to focus on don't regulate too early with respect to this. Let's move ourselves to get to a place where we let this grow and let this flourish a bit, and we're gonna see what shakes out. And that's what we did in the early days of the web. There was a lot of, um, a lot of good hesitancy and resistance to regulation in the early days of the web, and I think that we need to sort of have that same thing now. Uh, and I think in terms of adoption, one of the challenges that I think with adoption for blockchain generally is the on and off ramps have always been really hard. Uh, because to get to, you either need to have a bank account or a credit card to be able to get onto blockchain and to, to leverage it. But we have this great partnership now on the network with uh, MoneyGram International, and that's going to allow folks to walk into a MoneyGram location and take their fiat in so they don't have to have bank accounts. They can convert it to digital assets on wallets that are Stellar enabled and then utilize those assets in, in whichever way they choose to. And the same for an off-ramp. So that's like a really good step transformational for the network and frankly for blockchain because it demonstrates the value of that interoperability between the traditional financial system and these new rails. Danelle, before we let you go, uh, most of us here and even watching will never be in front of a Senate or House committee or panel testifying or having to, to explain something. Can you, can you take us through what the biggest, I guess, gap was in terms of lawmakers, what their perception of cryptocurrencies and in that industry is, and, and, and what exactly can be done to maybe make that regulatory environment more collaborative with your chief executives in the business? 
Yeah, I think today was an awesome start. Just to start that conversation, it was a very public way. There was a lot of good dialogue. Part of the, one of the things that I felt a lot today was there was this, this collapse of crypto and blockchain. And frankly, those are, you know, crypto is on blockchain, but blockchain is infrastructure and underlying technology. That's gonna happen in these kinds of discussions. And I think that's okay. But I do think there needs to be a want on both sides. The industry needs to want to share and policymakers need to want to, to listen. And I feel like today we really headed in that direction. We had a really good opportunity to start that conversation. And I felt awesome coming out of it that we're gonna actually see a lot more of this. So I think that you know we've historically not been able to get there and today we did. All right, Danelle Dixon at Stellar. Thank you very much and good luck to you with the rest of the education campaign, if you will, with regard to cryptocurrencies. We appreciate it. All right, guys, let's trade it because we've heard a lot about the differences, blockchain versus the coins and tokens themselves. Uh, maybe, again, Guy, we'll go to you with this one here first. Let's talk about whether or not it's really just about Bitcoin or are there other places we go to to try to find some of that real outperformance? Yeah, I think so. I mean, look, the obvious place is the first derivative, but go downstream a little bit. And I'll say Palantir has been a very difficult stock to own. And over the last month, you've had a lot of analysts downgrade the stock, $19 price targets. It's trading there now. But they're just starting to see news that, you know, they're talking about their crypto. Uh, they have a crypto security platform that I don't think the market fully comprehends. And they'll be at the forefront of that. And if, in fact, that is the case, which I think it will be, this stock should be significantly higher. So I get all the crypto plays. I think if you want to look downstream, look at Palantir. All right. That's the stock side of things. Tim Seymour, anything on your radar with regard to the coins and tokens themselves or another derivative play on them? Well, first of all, yeah, I'm going to say a couple things, and I'm going to extend Guy's uh, reference to the police. I mean, uh, crypto and, and blockchain right now are really are the spirits in the material world. And having the, the folks down on the hill have these types of, uh, sometimes they are clumsy, but ultimately this is about regulation. This is a $2 trillion industry. You, you have to have regulation around it. That will bring higher prices, believe it or not. It, it's, it's actually a very good thing, and as awkward as these moments sometimes seem, and we've had a lot of fun on Fast Money uh, when there have just been, you know, dot-com type investigations or even discussions into things like the metaverse. But um, this is very good news. When you look at uh, the relative value trade within, um, call it the cryptocurrencies or the platforms, um, what we're clearly seeing is moving down the curve. And, you know, the, the story of this year, it's, yeah, it's Ethereum over, over Bitcoin, but how about Solano over Ethereum? I mean, Solano up, you know, 11,000% or something on a one-year, year-over-year basis. So that's where uh, the trade is getting very exciting because I think a lot of investors, uh, while drawn into some of these extraordinary moves and, and not just, you know, 10 baggers, but absurd moves, exciting and, and a lot of stuff out there that really needs to be kicked a lot harder under, uh, under the hood. But the good news here is this is a broadening asset class with use cases that Danelle talked about today. This isn't just about speculation. All right. Solana for Tim. Palantir for Guy. Thanks, guys, very much. Coming up on the show, we are all over the after-hours action and shares of GameStop and RH, the company formerly known as Restoration Hardware. We'll break down those details coming up next. Plus, some magic hitting Disney lately. The stock rebounding from some recent lows, and that caught one of our traders' attention. We've got more on that Disney trade when Fast Money returns after this break.
You know that music. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got an earnings alert for you on GameStop. Shares of the Reddit favorite dropping in the after hours to the tune of 4%. Let's get out to Frank Holland with all the details there. Frank. Hey there, Dom. GameStop lower after earnings and the disclosure of a subpoena from the SEC requesting documents related to the trading of GameStop and other meme stocks involving short selling and other derivatives. In filings, GameStop saying in part, we're in the process of producing the documents and have been and intend to continue cooperating fully with the SEC staff regarding this matter. This inquiry is not expected to adversely impact us. On the 10-minute earnings call, CEO Matt Furlong says GameStop's now exploring new opportunities in blockchain, NFT, and Web 2.0 gaming. No further details. We aren't comparing the results to estimates, but a few other details from the report that we want to highlight here. GameStop increased sales of hardware, that's generally consoles and actual physical games, by 62% year-over-year. GameStop said it increased its inventory by 33% year-over-year for the quarter to mitigate supply chain issues and meet customer demand. It also increased its cash it's holding by 217%, holding almost a billion more in cash. Also, investor interest in this stock, it's declined recently. Take a look. This is a look at the last five days, only one day above the third day moving average actually in the last 10 days. So a lot less volatility for GameStop, especially before earnings, especially compared to the last quarter. Dom, back over to you. All right, Frank Holland, thank you very much for that. Let's trade GameStop now. Jeff Mills, I I wonder, there was a case to be made for trading this stock because of a momentum factor at one point. Is there a fundamental case for owning or not owning GameStop in your mind? Yeah, that's been the the case the entire time, so I don't even know uh, why we're talking about earnings here. They they never mattered. I don't think they matter now. And and this is really a a caricature of the old, you know, good news is already priced into the stock phrase. At at two and a half times sales, this is a stock that traded at 0.6 times sales for the last decade. So there is... There was no fundamental result that could have sustainably propelled the stock higher here, at least in my view. The short interest is low now. Most of the people that want to own it already do. Uh, We've seen the stock really not move for the entire year. So I think flat is probably the best case for the stock going forward. All right, let's turn to another after hours mover in shares of RH surging after its report as well. Let's get to Christina Partsanevelis with the details there. I still want to call it, Christina, Restoration Hardware. I know, so do I, especially if those go to who those who go to the bar or restaurant in the meatpacking district in New York. But RH, a stay-at-home winner, continues its streak, and you're seeing shares right now rallying above 11%. The furniture and housewares company, and we know, is Restoration Hardware previously, raised guidance for the year and much higher than anticipated. So let's start with the basics. Adjusted earnings per share came in at $7.03. That's a 40-cent beat with revenues just above a billion dollars. Also a beat. And you have uh, to keep in mind the street consensus for uh, its guidance is a lot higher. And so that did help the company. But what we did see, and this was the interesting thing, is the company had previously had to delay the launch of its contemporary line and the opening of its first guest house until spring of 2022 due to supply chain issues. But the CEO is pretty optimistic, to say the least. Here's a statement from today's press release. Quote, we refuse to shelter and shrink, not allowing our culture to be shaped by stay-at-home mandates or let collaboration be replaced by Zoom calls and isolation. No leaders of our team, RH, made their summer home their permanent home. There will be no debates if we would return to work, only discussions of when we could. I thought that was a pretty poignant statement. The CEO and chairman has a lot in store for the company over the next decade. Couture, bespoke services, antiques and artifacts, private jets, and a luxury yacht available for charter. This was all in the report. Shares up 
36% year-to-date, 11% right now. Back to you guys. Feels very Four Seasons-esque. Thank you very much, Christina Partsanovelis, for that on RH. Let's trade it. Steve, I, I'm going to lump this into the broader, massive momentum in just home-building stocks overall. What do you think? Is RH the play? Yeah, so I, I'm looking at a long-term chart. So if you think... First of all, when you look at it on a chart, it looks like it bounced ahead of where it should have bounced on a technical level. So it makes you want to think about trying to get into the stock at at this point. But to your your, uh, analysis of a momentum play, if you go back on a long-term trend line for this one, go back to where the pandemic hit, before the pandemic hit, this, this thing is in nosebleed territory. So you could feel extremely positive on the name as long as housing is doing better, as long as people are buying houses with their Bitcoin profits, this one will do okay. But when the music stops, this one will come in very hard. Please, if you're thinking about buying this, look at a long-term chart on this. It has a lot of room to fall. All right, so let's talk about this, Tim. What do you think? Is it here or is it Lowe's? I only say it because Lowe's made a record high in trading today. Uh, I, I like them both, and I'm a huge buyer of the home builders trade. That's really broader outside of the home builders themselves. At 24 times next year, this stock is not expensive. I prefer William Sonoma to this one, but I think both these stories are part of a trend that's not over and not just about COVID. Um, I think both of these retailers are in great position. I think people will continue to have value in their homes and beef up their, you know, essentially the, take the, the net value and the net equity in those houses and reinvest it. These companies are the beneficiaries. They're not expensive 24 times. Not bad. All right. RH is certainly, though, from a product standpoint, on the expensive side of the spectrum out there. Anyway, coming up on the show, Lululemon earnings are on deck, and that has the options pits warming up some. The big bet one trader is making on the athleisure stock. More on that in just a few. But first... Disney working on a stealth bounce from recent lows, and that caught one of our traders' attention. We've got more on that Disney trade coming up when Fast Money returns after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. Check out Disney shares getting a nice bounce today after J.P. Morgan named that stock a top pick for 2022. The media giant has had a rough go in 2021, though. But in just the last few sessions, it's up about 8% off its lowest levels of the year. And that's catching the eye of one of our traders, namely Guy Adami. So, Guy, what has you interested in Disney? Well, I mean, I'm wrong all the time, as you know, but we got this one right. We were cautious on this for quite some time. And we had said for, for months, it seemed like, the logical place for Disney mm-hmm. to find a home would be in the mid-140s. That was the prior all-time high back in November of 2019, before everything cratered. And that's pretty much what happened, and it did it on some pretty decent volume over the last week, week and a half. And J.P. Morgan just came out. I think the bad news is probably in the rearview mirror now, and I think people are going to start to find their way back into this name. I don't know if it's getting to 220, but I definitely think this can test the bit, that 180 level that it spent so much time at. So I think Disney capitulated. I think a lot of people got out. And I think over the next couple of weeks, you'll see a lot of people pile back in. All right. So, Jeff, I wonder from your perspective, Disney has been I mean, it's a media conglomerate. And, and because of that, there are numerous narratives that are driving the story. What's the prevailing narrative in your mind? Is it Disney plus streaming? Is it a reopening play because of the pandemic? Is it content? Is it all of these things? What exactly is driving the trade? 
So number one, number one, I agree with Guy. I think it finding support at that pre-COVID high is important, and I, I like adding here. Uh, Rich Greenfield talks about this all the time on the show. I think the prevailing narrative, to directly answer your question, is streaming. You know, that's the re-rating of the multiple. That's the growth going forward, at least in a big way. Uh, but what Rich says is there's still this tension between the legacy business and Disney Plus, and I think that's part of what's been ailing the stock recently. And what he means by that is in, in terms of the distribution of content, does it go to the theaters? Does it go to Disney Plus? Does it go to Hulu? It's complicated versus a Netflix who doesn't necessarily have that problem. Uh, but to your point, they have parks, they have theaters. These things are going to continue to improve. I like the tiered pricing that they're doing at the parks. I think the PE just got crazy, especially in, in relation to Netflix. And now you're in a much better place there. Uh, the content slate is ramping up. The long-term subscription growth for Disney Plus is still intact. So I think there's a lot to like here about the stock. All right, Disney shares, ones to watch for sure in media. Coming up on the show, we are stretching into Lululemon options ahead on our earnings tomorrow. Well, we're going to tell you how traders are leaning into this one with that trade. Lululemon shares down about 2% in the trade today. You are watching Fast Money Live from the NASDAQ market site here in Times Square. We are back right after this break. Welcome back. Don't miss a CNBC Investing Club digital special event tomorrow at 12.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Our own Jim Cramer is laying out his game plan for the new year. Sign up now with all of the info on your screen. Just point your phone at that QR code. Meanwhile, check out the move in Lululemon, the athleisure giant dropping just about 2% in today's session. But one brave options trader is making a big bet ahead of tomorrow's earnings report that these could be the last losses that we see in Lulu for quite some time. Tony Zhang joins us. You know him. He breaks down the options action for us. Tony. Yeah, Dom, we saw a fairly active day here in Lululemon, trading almost two times the average daily volume. But as you said, earnings is on deck for tomorrow. And the options market is currently implying about a 7.8% move going into earnings this week versus the average of about 5.7% we've seen here over the past eight quarters. So the options market is implying a sizable move. And one trader is taking advantage of this elevated implied volatility, selling 672 contracts of the March 370 puts for about $14.23 each. That translates to about 3.5% of the stock's value or just shy of a million dollars in premium that was collected on this trade. And they have the obligation to purchase 67,200 uh, shares of Lululemon by March if the stock is below 370. That's about a $24 million stock position if the stock is at that level. All right, Tony, big trade there for sure. Thank you very much for that. For more on Options Action, be sure to tune into the full show Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Coming up next, your final trades. It's that time, final trades. Let's go around the horn. Steve Grasso. Stem, S-T-E-M. It's been building a base. I'm looking for a large move higher, Dom. All right, Tim. Laura Albers, CEO, Williams-Sonoma. Dom, every little thing she does is magic. How about that guy? Oh, Jeff. As I said earlier, I would fade this big move in Roku. I just think the growth is going to be challenged going forward. Therefore, the stock is too expensive where it is. Guy Adami. Palantir is the invisible sun in crypto. All right. Thanks for watching Fast Money, guys. <laughs> the spirit of performance defines Acura. And now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. 
while what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura has been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com.